Hi, this is Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess with Skull Combat Sports Equipment, and you are listening to Eddie Goldman with No Holds Barred. Hi, my name is Melissa Smith from GirlBoxing.org, and I'm listening to No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. Everyone around the world, once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. On this edition of the show, we once again spoke with our colleagues Chris Baldwin of Angry Afro Radio and Melissa Smith of Girl Boxing on the War Room. A video of this discussion has also been posted on the Angry Afro Radio YouTube page. Our special guest was Dr. Lisa Keel. Institute Director of the University of Minnesota's Global Institute for Responsible Sport Organizations. This discussion took place Friday, September 17th. Corruption, doping, and rape in sports are widespread. The growth of sports gambling, both legal and illegal, also has posed another danger to the integrity of sports. To start to address this, Dr. Keel is advocating the formation of a national sport integrity system. Her work at the Global Institute for Responsible Sport Organizations has a focus on, quote, introducing a framework conceptualizing a national sport integrity system that aims to promote and safeguard integrity within national sport organizations, unquote. We spoke with her about the steps needed to be taken to accomplish this, how to fight the scourge of sports corruption, the role of the media, and much more. All of this is part of our in-depth coverage of the corrupt world of boxing and sports governance in general. But before we get to that, a word from the sponsors of No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred is brought to you by... LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com, that's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Fight Shop, home of the Skulls Double End Bag, the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Fight Shop. Advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Skulls, that's S-K-U-L-L-Z, fightshop.com. And Adolfina Studios. 
original art prints, and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y dot com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Also, please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon for much more No Holds Barred content, that's at Patreon.com, slash Eddie Goldman. Now, you can also support our independent, no-holds-barred journalism by purchasing items such as t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, mugs, pillows, masks, and even miniskirts at the new No-Holds-Barred with Eddie Goldman shop on Red Bubble. It has also been recommended to me that people choose sizes on the large side, as some items may run small. You can browse all the items for sale and then place an order at redbubble.com slash people slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. What's up everybody? Thank you for tuning in to The War Room. This is Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Melissa and Eddie and we have a very special show for you today. We are talking about sports governance, and we want to welcome Dr. Lisa Keel from the University of Minnesota to this program. She runs a program at the University of Minnesota, the School of Kinesiology, called the Global Institute of Responsible Sport Organizations. And we're going to have a thoughtful conversation on how can we improve or instill honesty and fairness in our sports systems. That's on a community level, right? All the way up to professional level, okay? Because there's an issue. And so we're going to talk about that today. And I'm going to take this right now over to my brother, Eddie Goldman. Take it away. Good. Thanks a lot. Uh, good to be speaking with everybody. You know, on, on this show, we've mainly focused on corruption in boxing, which is, we know, is, is endless and timeless. But boxing, as seedy as it is, is far from the only sport that is corrupt. There are a lot of sports that are out there that are much more uh, polished and respected, but it's just uh, full of corruption. And that's a topic that we're going to discuss with Lisa Keel. Because the battle, my view is that the battle against corruption that's taking place in boxing cannot be done separately from the overall battle against sports corruption. And Dr. Keel has a number of very interesting projects going on. The uh, Global Institute for Responsible Sports Organizations also at a university, uh, recruiting students to discuss the possibility of setting up a national sport integrity system and a lot more. So we're going to find out about all of that on this edition of the show. And uh, Melissa's on already and uh, Lisa Keel, again, welcome to our show. Hopefully we'll be able to dig up some of the dirt on sports corruption and and more importantly, what the hell to do about it? Well, it's my pleasure. 
to be here this afternoon. I really appreciate you inviting me and giving me a space to talk about a really important issue that seems to not be the focus for um, media or the general public. It's more about, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking or talking about player contracts or the game or whatever. And so if we don't have integrity in sport, we don't have the public's trust and we may as well be watching the WWF. So I think it's really critical that we have continued conversations about the breadth and depth of integrity within sport organizations and the systems that run them and how can we promote integrity and not see it just as a kumbaya moment, but also think about that those should be day-to-day -day conversations, but also thinking about where are integrity risks so that we can restrict the violations or breaches that we see and the systemic corruption that we're seeing in many sports in every country in the, in the globe. So it's just not you know, a, a Russia issue. It's a USA gymnastics, Penn State, you know, you name it, many organizations are dealing with it or not dealing with it. And so I'm really happy that you wanna have this conversation today. Yeah, let's discuss some of the major examples that you talked about. Of course, in gymnastics, there was just the congressional uh, hearings where a number of top, um, some of them very famous gymnasts, Simone Biles and a number of others, but a number of them have been raising this for many, many years. What had happened with uh, this so-called Dr. Larry Nasser, and who was the doctor for USA Gymnastics, and and it recently, what recently came out, even though Nasser is in in prison and he's going to be there for the the rest of his life, that they made numerous complaints to the FBI about all this, and the FBI basically did nothing about it. This went on for a long period of time. Yeah. So, so but, you, but what's interesting, so this was, I found this interesting because when all of this came out, the report that was presented back in, I don't know, when, it, when there was, I don't know, 2018, 2019, I'm getting my years mixed up because of, we had a year gap because of COVID. But there was a report that came out and it was public knowledge that the CEO of the U.S., Olympic and Paralympic Committee was buddies with one of the FBI investigators in Indianapolis and had spoken to him. And it somehow got the investigation squashed or slowed down or whatever they did. So, so that which, was, which guy was that? Was that Blackman? I believe it was. He was friends with, with one of the FBI agents. And he also talked to some of the media newspaper reporters, and they backed off as well. So there was something going on that Blackman had some sort of power or some sort of, there was something going on, some sort of collusion or whatever you want to call it. And so we knew of this. And so it's interesting to me, here we are in 2021, and all of a sudden we're disgusted that the FBI didn't investigate until the LA um, FBI decided to investigate because there was a charge made from somebody within LA. But the other piece to this as well is that 
prior to even some things coming out within USA Gymnastics, uh, Michigan State had several um, athletes raise concerns. And because of Title IX, you're supposed to investigate those. Well, they found they didn't really do a real investigation. So you have Michigan State, you have G USA Gymnastics, United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and the FBI, four, five institutions fail to do due diligence. And so, you know, I, I'm a little um, skeptical of the Senate have this hearing now after we already knew about this years ago. Well, not only that, but, you know, let's put the fine point on it. Some of these women were children when this oh, happened. Absolutely. It's we're child talking rape. pedophilia. Absolutely. You know, so it's, you know, sports corruption, yes, in the sense that organizations fail, but their failure is heinous crimes. And it's not just, you know, somebody, okay, took a kickback to uh, in, in some kind of a, a corrupt situation. But this is absolute failure of a whole generation of gymnasts. And God knows how many generations before that as children who were being systemic, systematically raped. It's just mm -hmm. outrageous. For gold medals and a reputation to protect the U.S. Right. Well, probably um, Michigan State and the USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. I, the other thing is like, is it in this particular case, because it's it's child rape or it's it's you know rape against uh, teenagers, but it's about girls that it's not as important if we saw like um, Donahue, the NBA referee who was caught gambling, like. I think we had more conversations about him and whether he was throwing games and which games were thrown. That would seem to be more important to the public than raping girls and knowing that they were being raped or when he was under investigation, not pulling him out and allowing him to continue to work and protecting him. So I, I don't I don't get why, you know, certain types of corruption, um, seems to get a bit of a pass versus other types of corruption. Um, and so that's, that's a separate thing that we need to talk about. Why are we allowing sexual violence of young athletes to keep occurring? And it's not in just in gymnastics, we've seen it in swimming, ice skating. We see it in the volleyball circuit where we've got AAU coaches are sleeping with players and people will know about it. Same thing with, women, with girls basketball. And nobody says anything because they want their kid to get a scholarship. And if they say anything, they're afraid they're going to get blackballed. So we have we have a serious issue about um, dealing with sexual assault in sport, rape culture in general in yeah, the United it's States. Part, yeah, absolutely. It's a part of a broader uh, discussion. Rape culture, period, across the world. Right. For some yeah. reason, it's okay. And and. It's not as as sanctioned as maybe other types of crimes. We prefer to send somebody to jail for ten years for marijuana use versus exactly um, somebody that was engaging in rape of young of young people. So we we really need to start having some serious conversations about protecting athletes. And it's interesting today or yesterday, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee released that they have this platform now where athletes could come and um, 
submit their um, accusations and that would be independent. And I'm thinking who would have trust that actually somebody's gonna go investigate and do the right thing? I mean, it's the system that's the problem. It's not, those athletes said that they were being raped, that there's something weird going on and they were either retaliated against or they were um, uh, ignored. So, so why would this new system all of a sudden now be trustworthy? Right. You have to believe in the system. And so how are they creating trust within the system that athletes know that if something is reported, it's going to be taken seriously and, um, and people are going to be held accountable? Oh, in, in terms of the work that your institute does, what are the kinds of things that you are looking to put out as policy or as um, the, providing the, re, the sort of the backbone, backbone in research that you can then promulgate into these kinds of public organizations such as um, USA Gymnastics Committee and so on, um, and, and, or uh, US uh, Paralympic Committee. And are there things that you are looking to achieve in your, as, in your institute to assist in that process? Yeah, one of the projects that I've been working on for a while is trying to develop a national sport integrity system for national sport organizations. And so I'm doing some pilot work with my colleagues in Australia at Canberra University. And so trying to, well, let me back up. The, the way that people have thought that the best system to address um, integrity risks and promoting well, we don't really promote integrity, but if we were going to, was good governance. If we have good governance principles, therefore, if we have transparency, we have accountability, um, they don't really talk about what kinds of accountability, but we will be, a, you know, be good organization, right? Um, and I don't think it's just about good governance. I think we need to look at what's a, a founding framework that we can create a network of a system. Because if you think of a, a sports system, it's got multiple levels, particularly, excuse me, in the United States, it's a federated system. It's club, state, regional, national. So how can we think about in this framework to start off who are the actors that are responsible internally and externally to create and facilitate this system? So, um, most organizations in other countries, they have uh, an integrity officer. So they would help facilitate, oversee the NSO's integrity system. Um, and then you have external actors. So who are the regulatory institutions and what's their role? So it's a little tough in the US because we don't have a um, minister for sport. So we don't have in, in um, the Senate or the House, any type of person that actually oversees sport. It's, it's, there's no oversight. So that's one problem in terms of external regulation or external accountability me mechanisms. Who, who from the government is responsible for overseeing sport and making sure that if they're, do they have the right rules and regulations? Um, do, how are the police connected, whether it's federal, local, state police, how are they connected and what's their role? What's the, um, what's the different anti-doping agencies, whether it be, you know, 
um, national, international, or safe sport, or different, you know, what are the external entities, watchdog groups, and what's their responsibility, and how are their agreements that says that we will work together. This is our roles and responsibilities, and we'll work together to ensure that we can collect information, we can um, investigate, and we can hold people accountable if they're not doing the wrong, the right thing. Mm -hmm. So that would be the first part of a framework is thinking about who's involved in this system. And I don't think in the US, we have even begun to, to have these conversations. And then the next part is, so you have an, a, a sport organization, well, what's their integrity management framework, like the infrastructure? So what are the policies? What are the agencies? Um, what are, who runs this? How do they, what are the day-to-day -day operations? So if you think there's sport competitions, we have rules, regulations, we have sports officials, like that's one aspect of it, but you also have the administration, you have um, high performance, you have uh, grassroots participation, who's involved, um, or what kind of uh, ethics infrastructure do we need to make sure all those types of um, management and programs are done in, with integrity. So that would be the next piece. And then the other part of the framework is um, the accountability mechanisms. So I mentioned before, you've got the regulators, but you also have social accountability. So what's the media's role? What's the community's role? What's the sponsors? What are fans? Encouraging them to speak out and, and if they see something, say something, or having conversations about um, how do we make change and we make sure that our organizations are a safe and healthy place to participate in. So, so it starts off with kind of the three basic components of a framework and then you implement a system, but it should be designed around the sport itself. I don't think anybody should be imposing um, that system, but they should at least have those components and thinking about how they can promote integrity and then limit risks and violations. So that's that's what I'm working on and it's keep me up at night. I'm so much, it's a long way away. And then the work in Australia, not to Babylon, but we're um, working with Canberra University and that's in the capital of Australia in the Australian uh, capital territory. And we're working, we um, looking at nine different sports and looking at their local clubs and their integrity system in relation to their state and how they work together or don't work together. Because that's the part of the system. If you're not collaborating and coordinating and helping with capacity and, and how they're delivering it, then you're not gonna have a system that works. So, so we got things going on and we are a long, long, long way away before we probably could see some change um, because I've got my biggest, challenge I think is getting um, the American community to really talk about integrity as a, to think of the word integrity, integrity as a system um, and think about having these conversations. Yeah, I think it's important what you said about Australia and they have the Sport Integrity Australia that brings together a bunch of organizations, including their uh, anti-doping agency and a number of academics that you mentioned at Canberra. I think Catherine Ordway, Matt Nickel, yep. and a bunch of other people are involved in that. 
if, there's also been discussion over the years by the handful of very uh, intrepid sports reform people around the world. I know you've spoken at the Play the Game conferences in the past, and this was brought up years ago. Uh, Jens Sire Anderson, the international director that raised the, and others have raised the issue of creating some type of world sport integrity agency, sort of what WADA does for doping, except dealing with all these issues of sport integrity. And you also mentioned, you know, the problem is if you brought this up to most Americans and said, well, they have sport integrity Australia, we need something like the Sport Integrity America, I think you'd get about the same kind of look on their faces if you said, I think we should join the United Federation of Planets or something like it, talking about something from, from outer space. They just won't comprehend it because we're so far off from it. I mean, the, the sports that we focus on, like sports like boxing, combat sports, uh, you know, integrity, the, the, people don't even know what that word means. It's kind of it's kind of a joke. And even in the more traditional mainstream sports, there are questions raised all the time about match fixing and in a sport like tennis, a country club sport, not so much on the top level, but on lower levels. And I'm seeing some of these reports about uh football played around the world, which Americans still call soccer, unfortunately, but that there's fixing going on all the time in these games. And I think that there are other examples that we could talk about in, in a whole lot of other sports. We're just talking about match fixing, let alone the issues that you raised at the beginning in terms of this, this rape culture, this sexual assault and sexual abuse of, of women and girls, which I think is very rampant. And also something, you know, because I've been very much involved for a long time with people from, from wrestling, you've had this with boys and men in addition mm -hmm. to, you saw the, the Ohio State situation, another so-called uh, school doctor, this Strauss, did for the, uh, the the wrestling team there, and they try to shut up a lot of people. When uh, Mike DeSabato, who was wrestled there, started to expose this, and they gave they try to impugn his motives, and he Mike did this and that in the piss. None of that had to do with anything, and they pressured some people who came forward, who spoke about it, who forced them to recant what they said, and and some people are from that team and no longer uh, with us, like Kevin Randleman. But, and then, of course, you had this Jim Jordan, who was the assistant coach there, part of the cover-up. <laughs> right. But, but as odious a figure as this guy is, he wasn't the head coach. The head coach was Russ Hellickson, who's still around. And he's Russ Hellickson is more just a wrestling guy, more respected. You didn't see as much discussion about – What's the role of Russ Hellickson? He was in charge mm -hmm. of all of that. He was a head coach of a uh, of a Division One uh, champion, you know, championship uh, team that had championship wrestlers on it. Later, it won a national championship after he was gone. You didn't see the discussion about that. So I I agree that what we got to do now. We're not going to set this up tomorrow. 
we have to start talking about it and drumming up support about this issue. And that's what, you know, we go back to what, what we want to do on this show in the media, get people to talk about these issues. Why is there not a national sports integrity body with some powers in the United States? Well, we, we know we know the people that run these major sports and the networks would want it, but that but you know that that gives us more reason to fight for it. But it's not it's not even on the table. It's not even be considered, and that's why I think what what Lisa, what you're doing is so important because you're bringing this issue to the forefront, and that's what you know that's the kind of thing we've been doing. We want to give voice to whatever sport is involved. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, in many situations, we're reactive versus being proactive. We wait for whatever the big scandal is, right? I mean, you think the University of Minnesota in, what, 98, when we had the academic scandal with the men's basketball program, they they knew what was going on. And people knew from all the layers of the institution, but they allowed it to occur. So um, it wasn't until, you know, woman scorn, she, one of the assistant coaches <laughs> broke off in a relationship with her. Then she went to the paper and said, fine, do you know, I've written 200 papers for, oh, wow. For the uh, men's basketball program. So they knew about it, but they were arrogant enough to think that nobody would ever find out. Well, nobody wanted to. Clem was doing well. Everybody liked Clem Haskins. They still like Clem Haskins. He's come back a few times and he's been given an award, recognition. So, so help me understand that. I, I don't understand that. So we, we, we have problems about being proactive. We, um, and then when we, something critical happens, we do a mass implementation of all these new policies and practices and we overreact. And then many years later, we think it's never gonna happen again. And we, we invite people back and everything's okay for certain people, right? If it's, um, depends on who it is, but it, there's a lot of, um, how do you get people to, to think about right and wrong in sport? And accountability. I mean, this country is not about accountability. That's for sure. Right now, we're for in a sure. big world of hurt right now. Even just determining what is black and what's white, so to speak, what's the truth and not. right, right. And so, if you know, I I think I'm not naive to think like, is this really the right time in society, or maybe it's the perfect time because we've got people who can't agree on what's the right thing to do. I like what you said about uh, the, well, here it would be an office of sports integrity. I think that would emanate from the White House, probably has to be created out of the White House. And then, you know, a group like yourself, uh, we can petition our Congresswoman, because I can write a letter to Maxine Waters and ask her, you know, how come we can't add amendments to the Muhammad Ali Reform Act for boxers in this, you know, for more protection for fighters and that type of thing. So I think once we, you know, get a, get enough people on board who can like tap the folks in Washington, we can get the ball rolling because 
somebody paid Rudy Giuliani's son to be a sport something at that White House while Trump was in office <laughs> and he didn't do anything. So yeah. I'm sure we could put a real sports integrity organization out of the White House together and, and that would help, right? I, I, yeah. I will also, you know, you had also mentioned, Lisa, the um, Title IX, which has a lot of framework and a lot of small regulations. Um, but so, who enforces Title IX? Well, that, that, that enforcement is certainly part of it, but part of the, anything going forward can also be really looking, combing through the existing regulatory frameworks from such things as Title IX. And it's the charters that have put in place organizations such as the, uh, the United States um, uh, uh, Olympic Committee and so on, to see just where we can tease out opportunity. Um, and, and to your point, Chris, about you know saying, hey, maybe this is something that sits in the White House. Well, those are the kinds of things that they can begin to look at mm -hmm. in terms of establishing what that framework really should be. Mm -hmm. um, what are the, how do we triage where the real pain points are. I would think protecting children in sports would be number one. It is, but, but even the system that they have, safe sport is not exactly a respected system. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't even think we have the, some, uh, the right programs or regulatory infrastructure that we need. Um, and we do a lot of things piecemeal. So we have, uh, systematic rape culture. So then we'll, we'll create safe sport. We, you have match fixing. So guess what? We'll have match fixing policy. And so instead of thinking of what is a coordinated approach, like what does integrity mean? It's not just um, illegal activity. There's also legal activity that's unethical. So it's looking at, you know, harassment. It's looking at racism. It's looking at a, a broad area of things to think about what goes into running a sports organization. So, but who's overseeing? To me, it's like, who oversees sport? How can you have um, AAU basketball and there's not, there's nobody that oversees it. So talk about potential for corruption, but who's gonna oversee that? How do we know that there's, well, there, we know there was bribery going on from the men's basketball schedule. It was more, you know, who was going to bribe kids through assistant coaches at colleges, but you don't think that that was occurring at the grassroots level? Like, we would be very naive not to think that that's not occurring. So there needs to be oversight of sport, period. And then you could say, okay, from that, who is responsible? Are they going to set up um, a, a unit within the White House and then who's responsible and then you could have USA Integrity be a part of that governance system. So I, th I think just asking Maxine Water, like why is there no oversight of sport? Well, I intend to write a letter after, you know, I'm going to help uh, have Eddie and Melissa help me. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to write a letter because it doesn't Nothing happens in Congress unless you start writing letters or pinging your congressperson or, you know, that's how it gets done or sign a petition, get sports athletes to sign a petition so that generates some interest. Mm -hmm. And I think we need some, some conferences or, or something on this. I mean, I know I tried 
I haven't really tried to the last couple of years because of the pandemic and everything, but I spoke to the people from uh, Play the Game a number of years ago and said, it's great you have these conferences in Europe. And I know they had one a few years ago in Colorado. So, you know, this would be perfect to hold it in New York. Um, I went to uh, Columbia and NYU. I still know some people there. I raised this with people that are on the faculty there and nothing happened. Uh, I even spoke to the head of the, at the time, the journalism school at Columbia, who also taught sports journalism. And I started talking about play the game. He had never heard of play the game. It's just, it's like, you know, it's, it's like people are just in their own bubble, in their own shell. So I think anything we do in terms of media, conferences, writing letters, figuring out who is most interested in this, which sports people are most interested in this. It's just, and again, as Lisa said, not just one issue at a time, but overall dealing, understanding all these things. You could, you could, go endlessly what happened to uh, Kaepernick and the NFL you could list all these things together and say look we need something that deals with all these issues what do we do in terms of media and organization what are the next steps that go on mm -hmm. and maybe you the program you're doing at University of Minnesota is gonna come up with some ideas and people involved there because it looked to me it looks like that's what you're you're utilizing that that program for to get people not just involved as a, a school project and then you graduate and you you forget about it but it's something that they would continue to do yeah you know the funny thing is i have i work mostly with colleagues in other countries there's not really anybody yep. in the u.s that I oh except for Kathy Babiak at Michigan, but she's more corporate social responsibility. There's nobody in the U.S. that I you know, collaborate with regarding integrity. I have to what? go overseas. Yeah, there's what? nobody. You name me some other person that really looks at integrity in sports. That is so sad. Like corruption in sports. There's a there's um, there are a couple there are a couple of people that do it. A uh, Declan Hill. Yeah, is, but he doesn't do research. He's a he has his school his students doing his yeah but he's more you know his background was a uh, investigative journalist which is good because he you know to publish you have to have valid reliable data but he can he has a lot of resources to figure out what's going on you know in in, in uh, crime syndicates and that kind of stuff well you can't do research on crime syndicates how are you going to get data except for maybe they've when they've caught somebody, but he does good work in terms of digging up dirt. <laughs> That's true. That helps expose issues, right? We need people like him to expose. But then is, you is there get a database that has a list of all the schools and crimes committed in sports and or uh, just sports yes. in general? The NCAA has their database of who's had major infractions, but though that's not necessarily that's that's just um, higher education, but we don't have a database of um, any type of integrity issues with youth sports, you know, traveling sports. I mean, my colleagues and I, international group, of course, again, I've looked at uh, fraud in community sport, 
and um, we just completed a survey and found that at least 10% of sport organizations, community sport organizations have dealt with fraud. So I'm not talking about boys and girls clubs or YMCA. I'm talking about, you know, your local traveling, mm-hmm. I don't know, Baseball whatever, hockey team, club. Right, yeah. Hockey those, team, right. So yeah. And, yeah. And those sports where, you know, you have volunteers who are running the organization and lo and behold, whoever's the treasurer is ripping the parents off. Well, they have access to money and there's no oversight. There's no internal controls and there's so much turnover, right? Parents, the kids play, they volunteer, they leave. And so those internal controls don't necessarily get continually um, implemented or the one person does it for so long because, oh my God, we need Sally, who's the treasurer and she's so helpful. Well, Sally's taking 10% of everything because you're taking cash, you know, you still working cash or whatever. You don't have two people signing checks. So, so even just fraud in community sport is an issue, but we don't talk about that. But it's funny when I've, um, when we were doing our survey, I can't, I had several people email me saying, you know, this is really important. I've been hit twice. (laughs) It's like, let's talk because there's something going on if you've been hit twice. (laughs) So there's lots of issues, but again, it goes back to my point about who's overseeing sport. No one. Right. And, and, and then also, you know, what you're teasing out in these local organizations is some of them may not even have a real imp- be even incorporated or a charity, because if it's a charity, then, OK, in the United yeah, States is subject to 50 different states and 50 different sets of laws regarding a charity, some of which are very stringent, some of which are less so. So, yeah, it's it's really easy to put your finger, you know, that. Say, yeah, I I got this great deal on uniforms and, um, you know, you're also outfitting your your own family for the next year in in a lot of really nice clothes because there's there's not even an organization that has any oversight because it's not incorporated. It's not a charity. It's just some friends who have a baseball team. Well, and even like, you know, there's a lot of addiction or, you know, gambling, whatever, and that it's easy money if you have a gambling addiction and you can take out a sport organization. Like if you lose, let's say $100,000, you're not getting that money back. That money's gone. And so it impacts participation. It impacts the community and their trust in the local sport organizations because kids do fundraisers and I'm thinking, well, why would I give money to the local lacrosse club if they've had embezzlement. So, so we need to, we need conversations about the importance across the level, whether it's high performance sport, community sport, participation sport, about ensuring that we have integrity. I mean, I, I'm sounding like a broken record, but I feel like if I don't keep on saying this, it's not gonna, you know. Right, it's about honor. Right. And you, it, to me, it's a simple thing. I mean, I wish I could, people were more honorable. We don't practice that anymore. So if you say, uh, if you pitching it to, I think if you're pitching it to families, it's got to be, you know, it's, let's talk about fairness and honor and, you know, being, having some freaking morals and ethics and integrity. Yeah. 
But don't you think if you went up to most parents, they would go, we're honest, we have integrity until their son or daughter gets, I don't know, gets into trouble and they have to go to a tribunal and they're going to be, you know, suspended for 10 weeks. Then it hits the fan and they don't want to be held accountable. Right. So there's, there's always, or we're honest for this, but until something happens then you really figure out who people are when you squeeze you know like squeezing the orange you really figure out what the juice is about i'm surprised maybe i don't know of any instances but i'm surprised that we haven't heard of cases of the parents of these young female gymnasts who were uh, raped and abused going up to this nasa and uh, seeking justice uh, by their own hands I don't know if that's ever happened, but, uh, uh, you know, that would be my, my gut reaction. It may not be the most effective thing to do, but I'm just surprised, particularly given the culture we have in the United States, that nobody just went in and, uh, you know, took the lawn to their own hands with this guy. If it had been my kid, I would have been kicking his ass for real. Well, yeah, but there's also, you know, you mentioned it and, and then, uh, you're placated with, well, you know, we, we're, we're doing what we can. And, uh, you know, oh, gee, but your daughter's going to have a place on the Olympic team. It's terrible. The implication that she'd be removed. What, what would you want? Have you, Lisa, have you found other people in the media that are interested in this overall issue in, in the United States or uh, besides us? No, I think I've had two, two, you're the second organization or group that's reached out to me, have conversations about issues related to integrity. The other person that contacted, they wanted more salacious stuff. And it was like, I don't do this for salacious, you know, I don't do this so that you can get ratings. I do this because I want to have a safe environment sport. So that wasn't really as good a conversation as this one, where it's really, you know, talking about what are the real issues and then how can we conceptually think about addressing um, those issues, what's gonna lead to change. And we're talking about systematic cultural change, which takes a a long time and a a lot of work. So, but, you know, starting starting the conversation and, and getting media interested, but, you know, with all the other things that are going on, I'm not so sure that this is sexy, right? Only until you have, I don't know, a, a case that really booms, like at Ohio State or in Notre Dame, if something huge happens, or or the Patriots, something huge happens, then then it's of is, issue of interest, excuse me. But I think day to day, I don't think Sports Illustrated or whatever. I don't think they would. It just Nobody doesn't cares. seem like. Yeah, it's not important. They're not even Sports Illustrated anymore. Yeah, it's it's not on the spectrum of importance. I think when certain things occur, then then it's you know if it's Tiger Woods and he's had affairs, right? Then it's or he was speeding. Then then it's infotainment. It is. It is. It's about. It's yeah. It's a part of the entertainment and making sure people continue to so to be um, connected. But, you know, if you're always talking about integrity, that's important for people, right? Why do we have to talk about right or wrong? There was a recent 
survey by Sports Pro Media of the most marketable athletes in the world. And number one and two, I think I remember the order, was uh, Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles. I might have mixed up who was one and two. I think Naomi Osaka was number one. And they both have recently had bouts with depression that they've very openly spoken about. And a lot of the media reaction when Naomi Osaka withdrew from a couple of tournaments and Simone Biles withdrew from a number of the Olympic events and she didn't get a gold medal this time and Naomi Osaka didn't win everything that she was in. There was a lot of real just disgusting blowback against them. So Mm -hmm. these are two of the most, you know, popular, well-known athletes, literally, in the world, mm-hmm. um, I, I think this is part of this. But I'm, I know, I know people in the media that if some of them could be rallied together, there are people that are interested in this in one way or another. But people are sort of number one, they're stuck in their little circle of whatever sport or sports they're focusing on, and number two, they're often hindered by what their editors want and or publishers want, which is, you know, the, the example that you gave of this other outlet. They, they, I mean, ESPN would prefer to have two people on TV of their hosts screaming at each other about some who's going to win or lose something when in most cases they don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Rather than dealing with this, they used to have the outside the lines. I don't even know if that's still on anymore. Maybe it, they moved that online or something. But there are people that I've come across that are interested in it, but it's it's sort of like scattered about. I mean, that's why I said something like a conference or something or just using every every tool that we have at our disposal to, to make this a, a central issue. Yeah, I think um, it has to be like a strategic marketing campaign, right? So if you think of like the Women's Sports Foundation or even the Tucker Center for Girls and Women's Sport at the University of Minnesota in my department, they're really good about their social media presence or their media presence and how they market that it's important that women have a space in sport. Like it took a long time until probably in the last two, three years. It's cool and it's important to talk about women in sport and equality and the, the commercial side of it and how the return on investment is probably potentially more than the men, right? So that, but that's taken work. So I feel like there has to be a very strategic marketing plan for the lack of a better word that really focuses on like why is what is integrity and why is it important and you know this needs to happen because i know with the tucker center they talked about they had this really good branding of why is it important for women to have women coaches and and uh, women administrators and they had like three talking points around it and so it was really easy to get out on social media to tweet about it and, and get people to remember it's important because of X, Y, Z. And so if, I think if you can have a similar type of campaign, so to speak, 
it, it takes a while, but eventually people latch on like, oh, we have this integrity problem because now right. finally people realize we have, we have a women's equity issue in sport. Like, oh, we didn't know that like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but now we finally realize it. So I think it takes work in terms of what the campaign is, what the branding is so that people latch on to it. Right. It's all about the pitch, fair, honest games, something people can remember, right? I get it. Is, uh, does your program also sponsor a, uh, a journal specifically or are there opportunities for calls for paper on one of the existing sports journals to focus on um, issues of integrity? No, but I think, you know, just having people do research in this area. I mean, I'm lucky I was able to recruit two uh, PhD students from different countries, nobody locally, but they're really, they're on this. And so they're doing work with me. One was a former aerial skier, like international aerial skier. And the other one was a swimmer, um, but from two different countries. And so just, um, you know, our, the presence of our um, website is re attracting interested students but um, they're from overseas, but that's fine. I don't really mind as long as I've got people that are interested in doing the work um, and we, we collaborate with people around the world. I mean, we're the Global Institute. We're not the USA Institute. We're the Global Institute. So we're, we're okay with that. But I think um, maybe, you know, it, it'll become sexy in the US. I don't know if it's sexy right now. It's all about that marketing. <laughs> doesn't get sexy unless you got the right marketing. What do you what do you want or how do you want people to contact you if they're interested in doing something about this whether or not they're going to be directly involved in, in a graduate program or whatever level they are or media people uh, it, other than just sort of googling you and looking up the you know the university's page and all that uh, is there anything else at this point or is that another thing that still has to be set up? No, I mean, you know, email me L K I H L at umn.edu or I'm on Twitter. Those are the easiest ways to, to get a hold of me. I don't answer. I'm not on the phone. That's for sure. So don't bother calling my office. <laughs> As you know, Eddie, I responded to your email, but I didn't respond to it. So yeah, well, I try everything. I'm yeah. in you're, you're showing your age. That's what. Yes, yes, that's true. But these uh, are seasoned, seasoned journalists. People don't call anymore. They they text or they email you, right? Well, you can't text a landline. Or you can. It won't go anywhere. Yeah, true. I just I don't I don't even know why I have a landline. I don't use it, but I guess you have to have one. <laughs> I know you still I noticed on on the university website for your contact they still list the fax number too. Yes. I I don't even know the last time I've used a fax, but there's some <laughs> organizations that want a fax. And we've had yeah. faxes. So that's in kind some of countries it's actually uh where internet connections are, are bad. We're gonna have to start to you know stir this up more because I agree on this whole situation in the United States, because this in the sports, from what I've been able to tell, I did like a presentation once at a sports management program 
Um, it was more about MMA and the history and everything. It just seemed most of the people who were studying there, they want to become the next general manager of the Yankees or the next, you know, owner of the Lakers or something like that. They're not so much interested in these these types of issues. And and I, I told you already, this sports journalism people were that didn't go too far either. This is in this is in the United States, and this is in quote unquote liberal New York. Well, this has been going on. So internationally is the way to look wherever the focus is going to be. Marshal your forces globally because these, all these sports today are global. You know, mm -hmm. at least the major sports are all global. Look who, look who plays in them, even if they're mainly located in, in one region. Certainly boxing is, is a global sport. Yeah. And there are people from all over the world involved in that. Yeah. So we got to well, stop the drum. Yeah, we do. We do. And the other thing, I, it, it, what's interesting, I mean, yes, it's a global, sport is global and it's really unregulated, right? It's self-regulation. And so crime syndicates know that. And so they look for weaknesses where they can launder money, bribe people. Like we don't think that at some point, you know, some high school or college tennis player is not going to be bribed and they're going to bet on it in, in some, you know, Singapore to wherever. We don't think that that's not going to happen. I mean, ask Declan Hill, that's going to happen. It's happened already. He, yeah. he documented a lot of that. So, but, but not necessarily here regarding like college athletes. We haven't had um, instances where college athletes, tennis players, but yes, those on the circuit. But I'm just saying like, unless, I don't think people like really see it as it being um, real that the mafia is looking for the weaknesses in the sport regulation. They just don't see like it's, it's gonna happen. I tell my students, I'm like, okay, read this and see how this happened. And they still like, really? Like, really like Asian mafia would come to the US and try and, you know, um, bribe athletes and whatever and i'm like yeah it's gonna happen it's gonna happen especially if they start legalizing betting in every state i mean there's what 20 20 something states with minimal regulation minimal like you can if you can bet on your mobile app and whatever like who's really overseeing that it's so, happened very rapidly. I mean, I, I watch a lot of baseball, and up until a few years ago, baseball had a stance, you know, completely against gambling. It was related to banning Pete Rose, keeping him out of the Hall of Fame, despite all the records that he set and all that. Now, you turn on a baseball game or a show on the, the MLB network, half the ads are from these gambling companies, and instead of saying just, well, you know, we think – this team, here are the strengths and weaknesses of the team, and they have to get better pitching. Then now, so here are the odds for the mm -hmm. game. Here's who's favored to win the game. Here's fa who's favored to hit home runs today and so forth. Just gambling stuff. Yeah. And it'll get worse. You watch. They'll have live, as you're watching a game, it'll have, like, these are the odds for the first foul, or these are the odds for the first, I don't that know. That is insane. I mean, it's happened in other countries and for 
to think that it's not going to happen here because there's little regulation, it's going to happen. So we will have issues around gambling, debt, addiction. You watch, you watch, but we're reactive. We're not proactive as they're implementing policies and, um, and regulation. They're not thinking about, so how do we think about the public health issue related to gambling? How do we ensure that it's got appropriate oversight? What are the implications if you can bet with a credit card and versus having cash? Well, if, if you do it with a credit card, it's, it's like paper money, right? It doesn't really exist. That can get somebody into trouble very, very quickly. But where are those conversations? Yeah, so, not happening. No. Not so, happening. you know, there's, I just had a, a person, Brianne, um, I can't remember her last name because it was very long. And she, where is my syllabus? She came and spoke to my class this past Tuesday. She, she's from the, um, hang on, hang on, hang on. She is Brianna Dura Shawal. She is the VP for US Policy and Strategic Development at Epic Risk Management. She works with, um, in DC, about trying to think about how to have um, ethical sport gambling policy. And she has the statistics of how much revenue is being produced potentially, um, the gambling addiction um, data and what the potential of that is, how much money is invested in making sure this is in terms of the mental health issue. There's the US government spends no money on gambling addiction. It's not a part of their funding. So we have, and here we're going to have unlimited sports betting. It's going to explode. It's and no regulation, right? Yeah. Because and it's 50 states. Right. Every state, again, has their own, just as every state has their own athletic commission that does whatever they please. Right. And you watch, they'll say, how did this happen? So, yeah, we have a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Well, look, I, Lisa, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Keel, I should say, because you earned that doctor title. That's right. And um, we are going to wrap it up. But listen, before we go, I want you to tell everybody where they can find you again. Okay. okay. Yes, I am in the School of Kinesiology at the University of Minnesota, and I'm the director of the Global Institute for Responsible Sport Organization, hashtag GearSo. And what's your handle on Twitter? Uh, Keels underscore Lisa. Right on. Yes, everybody follow her and, and follow us back, too. That's I right. follow you, Eddie, but I don't know Do if you? I follow Melissa and um, Chris. I'll have to. Um... I'll give you oh, a follow, follow after you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. We'll follow you. Right. right on. Well, look, that's a uh, Melissa. You, you want to give a, a, a shout out to everybody where you can find you and then Eddie can go next. Absolutely. Uh, I am at Girl Boxing now on Twitter and Instagram. And my website is girlboxing.org. Just a little bit of a plug. I just redid it. So, you know, come have a look. Go check and, it out. Uh, thank you so much for uh, Dr. Keel for being on the show with us. This was just fantastic. Fantastic conversation. All right, Eddie, tell everybody where they can find you, my brother. In New York, but online on Twitter at NHB News. You can go to my site, eddiegoldman.com, and my Patreon, patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman. And I'll probably be one of many people watching the 
a heavyweight wrestler for in his last season for the University of Minnesota, Gable Stevenson. I guess before he starts with the fake wrestling, going from real wrestling to the <laughs> fake wrestling, and I think a lot of people will be will be watching that. So uh, that'll be something interesting. Uh, that whole discussion for another time is my view is that the transition a hundred some years ago of professional wrestling from more or less real sport to a completely fake sport to a non-sport is the in modern times the greatest example of sports corruption i don't an entire sport went fixed but that's a discussion for another time that's so. right Another time. All right, everybody. This has been The War Room. I am your host, Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess. And you can find me on Twitter at Angry Afro Radio. I want to thank everybody on the panel again today. You guys have been awesome. This has been an awesome conversation. I can't wait to write my Auntie Maxine Waters and tell her we need to get this going right now. So you guys, thanks again. We'll see you next time. Peace. No Holds Barred is brought to you by... LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Fight Shop, home of the Skulls Double End Bag, the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Fight Shop. Advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Skulls, that's S-K-U-L-L-Z, fightshop.com. And Adolfina Studios. Original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com. That's E-T-S-Y.com slash shop slash Adolfina Studios. That's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Also, please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon. For much more No Holds Barred content, that's at Patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman. Now, you can also support our independent No Holds Barred journalism by purchasing items such as t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, mugs, pillows, masks, and even mini skirts at the new No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman shop on Red Bubble. It has also been recommended to me that people choose sizes on the large side, as some items may run small. You can browse all the items for sale and then place an order at redbubble.com slash people slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman. No holds barred. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow my site, my blog, the easiest way is go to eddiegoldman.com. For No Holds Barred, this has been Eddie Goldman.